Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, this is that episode of the podcast that I mentioned on Tuesday's episode. Uh, I had recorded a conversation with Ricky O'Donnell where we delved deep into everything that is wrong with the Chicago Bulls right now. And trust me, there is a lot. We ended up having about a 45-minute conversation about it. But unfortunately, uh, while I was setting up for the podcast, uh, apparently the audio started coming through my Beats. And and anyone who has ever owned a pair of Beats will tell you that the microphone in those things is just terrible. So my sound quality was unusable, but uh, luckily Ricky's came through really well. So what I ended up doing was just re-recording my portion of the podcast and uh, kind of syncing it with what Ricky said and going from there. So if the dialogue sounds a little bit stilted, it is a re-recording of the podcast, unfortunately, uh, on my end. But nonetheless, it's a really good conversation. It's the same words that I said uh, during the conversation with Ricky. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, This podcast is sponsored by betonline.ag the football season's in full swing and as ricky and i discuss uh later in the podcast uh, i don't know if it's more depressing to be a bulls fan or a bears fan right now but uh, both i think have a very real case for sadness you can get into the game with our exclusive sports betting partners betonline.ag sign up today to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit to start betting college or professional sports because look I've been betting college basketball for basically the whole season now. And man, I think I had my worst bet of the entire season all the way through March 2020 whenever I bet on Utah last night uh, against Coastal Carolina. Utah was favored by four and a half, and I think they lost by like 20. So uh, I am running hot right now, let me tell you. Better Online has every spread, every total, every winner and loser, straight bets, parlays, teasers, whatever you're looking for. You can get the fastest to market odds, updates, and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head over to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use that promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your sports book partners. Uh, Here is that conversation with Ricky, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Ricky, how you doing, man? You know, Sam, I really thought the Bulls would be better. So the fact that they're absolute trash once again, it's bumming me out at the start of this basketball season. I thought for once I could watch a competitive basketball team on a game-by-game basis. But, man, the Bulls are as bad as they've ever been. Ricky, you're preaching to the choir, man. I went all in on the Bulls this offseason. The two things I felt really good about in the East were that I thought the Heat would be way better than people thought, and I thought the Raptors would be way better than people thought. But even more than those two things, I thought the Bulls were on the right track. I thought they'd be in the mix to make the playoffs. I loved their offseason. I thought they did a great job. They went out and they got adults to put in the room. They went out and got vets that I thought would help these young players develop and be put into a position to succeed. I forgot one thing, though, Ricky. I forgot that Jimmy B is the one putting them on the floor. Jim Boylan is atrocious. I think that he's the worst coach in the NBA. I think he might be on the short list of the worst coaches in NBA history. You look at his tenure through, I believe, 72 games with the Bulls as we record this podcast. 
He has like 21 wins. He's beaten five teams over 500 in 72 games. He has not beaten a team over 500 this year. Last year, the Bulls won nine home games the entire year. This year, they're still getting blown out at home. Uh, It's a disaster on every level for Jim Boylan. But, Sam, there is one thing Jim Boylan is excellent at, and that is shielding the blame from where it really deserves to go, and that's to his bosses, John Paxson and Gar Foreman. He's constantly kissing their ass in the media. He is a company man through and through, which I can respect as a company man myself. But Jesus, he is just an abysmal in-game coach, an abysmal leader, and the blood is on his hands for the Bulls having such a disappointing start this year. You know what, Ricky? He's going to develop this bench. He's going to develop this team. He's got 15 guys to develop on that roster. He's going to play them in all of those moments. He's going to make sure that all 15 of those guys in the meritocracy, by the way, that is the NBA, are going to get minutes. It's just an unbelievable situation in Chicago. There are big picture things that are ridiculous. There are little picture things that are ridiculous. Last night he said that he doesn't even have anyone that can get a bucket. Did I hear that right? Yes, and I think he's right in that regard that the team's biggest problem is they don't have a star. Uh, You know, that falls back on ownership. Now, Boylan instead just tends to blame the players. He's been throwing his own players under the bus the entire season. He did it when they lost to the Lakers. He did it again uh, recently when they lost to the Nets. The Nets had like 43 points in the fourth quarter against the Bulls this past Saturday after the game. Boylan said, well, I can't go out there and play for him. Well, thank God Boylan can't go out there and play for him because he's bad enough coaching him. But what type of leader is this? Like, if I'm a player on that team, I'm just thinking, go to hell, man. Like, I don't want to go to battle for you. I feel like I'm being thrown under the bus for all of our shortcomings. Boylan deserves a lot of blame himself, and he keeps deflecting the blame from Paxson and Foreman. And I'm so glad you brought up the point about Boylan talking about developing the roster more so than winning games. This guy is so overmatched, he doesn't even know what his job is. His job is to win some damn games. And especially when the Bulls actually set expectations for themselves at the start of the season this year, at media day, they said, we expect to be a playoff team. Our goal is to make the playoffs. Well, if your goal is to make the playoffs, then maybe you shouldn't be worrying about developing Luke Cornett when you're up six against the Lakers in the fourth quarter, sticking with him. Maybe you shouldn't be playing Ryan Archie Diacono 16 straight minutes in back-to-back games to close out against the Bucks. Both those games, the Bulls blow in crunch time. It is ridiculous the number of errors Boylan's making, and the guy can't even grasp what his main objective is at this point. It's just a college basketball mentality to me, which makes sense because, you know, he coached in college for many years too. But there are a lot of funny things, a lot of funny little quirks, and I want to give you one here. The Bulls have four point guards right now, like full-on point guards uh, in the rotation. Sonoransky can play off ball, but like the other three guys here, these are on ball point guards like Kobe White, Ryan Archdiakono, Chris Dunn. All four of these guys are legitimately in the rotation. Like there are eight guys that have played all 14 games for the Bulls so far this season. Four of those guys are point guards. I can't remember a situation like that. In addition to that, Zach Levine, he's going to handle the ball a lot. That's his thing. So really, you're playing two legit point guards in Ryan Archdiakono and Chris Dunn. You're playing three guys that are kind of combo-y guards in Sadoransky and Kobe White. Uh, you know, Kobe White's not awesome at playing off ball, but he can do it because he's six foot five. And then Zach Levine likes to handle a lot. It's just 
it's bananas that this is a team that is functioning even remotely, even having won four games. Like it's it's shocking to me. I think the Bulls are actually pretty talented, but like this is a team that has lost Otto Porter. He's been out for a little while. This is a team that still hasn't quite figured out how to utilize Lowry marketing properly. I know he's having kind of a bad start to the year regardless. Uh, They still aren't playing Thaddeus Young, which I want to talk to you about because it's just fucking crazy to me. Uh, The fact that they've won four games is (laughs) it's, it's almost impressive to me, given the incompetence that has happened on the bench so far. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you can't blame Boylan for the wing depth. We got to say that. Like, it was a problem before the season coming into the year. It's like you had Otto Porter, you had Chandler Hutchison. Locally, we call Chandler Hutchison the promise because the Bulls promised they they would take him with their second draft pick two years ago. He shut it down, I think, even before the combine. So instead of the Bulls, like, waiting to see who would fall to them, they had maybe a slight reach for Hutchison. He hasn't given them anything. It's a three. I think that, you know, he can score a little bit in transition, and he's a plus rebounder on the wing. But in the half court, the guy is just absolutely brutal. Uh, He hasn't really made an impact defensively in terms of utilizing his tools on that end either. So they have no wing depth. Denzel Valentine's totally out of the rotation. If you're expecting him to defend small forwards anyway, that's going to be a lost cause. Then they're also wasting a roster spot on Cristiano Felicio, who they foolishly gave an $8 million annual deal to a few years back. He's still under contract for next season, too, I believe. Felicio is totally unplayable. He was the only NBA player, I think, on Brazil's FIBA team, and he wasn't even in the rotation. Felicio is awful. The Bulls are wasting a valuable, valuable roster spot on him. And then, like you said, they have all these point guards and not enough wings. So that's how you get a lineup where you're playing Archie Diacono, Kobe White, and Chris Dunn at the same time, those lineups are getting totally railroaded so far. That's why you have a situation where Archie Diacono is literally defending Giannis in the post in crunch time. Last night, they played the Bucks again. Archie Diacono is two jump balls against Giannis. It's like, this is a comedy of errors. And while I do think that Boylan is the biggest reason, you know, the biggest thing to blame uh, for the encore product this season... Obviously, I've been on the Fire Garpax bandwagon for years and years at this point. John Paxson's been at the helm of the Bulls for, I think this is his 16th season. These problems go all the way upstairs. This roster had no wing depth even coming into the season. Even before Porter's injury, it was a question mark. Uh, It is just really bad right now in Chicago. So I want to talk Garpacks a little bit later because I think that they are obviously at the root of all of these issues. But before we get there, I just want to like point out it's not even that Jim Boylan is playing four point guards now because Otto Porter is out. Like, you know, he was doing that when Otto was in the lineup. He was playing Otto Porter only like 25 minutes a night in the nine games that he started. If Otto Porter isn't their best player, he's probably their second or third best player. Like he's up there and Otto Porter is a good basketball player. Thaddeus Young is a good basketball player and he can defend threes. The craziest part to me of Archie Diacono defending Giannis at any point is that you have Thaddeus Young who actually does a really good job on Giannis. He did a really good job at Indiana defending Giannis and he had to do it four times a year. No one is going to shut down Giannis because Giannis is impossible, right? 
but he makes them work a little bit at least. He's strong. He's long. He's physical. He plays really good help defense. He makes sure that he's there in the gaps so that you know someone like Giannis can't get ahead of steam off ball, right? It's That's just one example, but it's crazy to me how Jim Boylan is utilizing these guys and how he's utilizing these guys at end of games. Like There just seems to be no rhyme or no reason or anything to who is playing at what point in any game. Yeah, I totally agree, and not to defend Boylan at all, but it is worth noting that Chandler Hutchison was hurt when Porter was healthy, uh, so they still didn't really have any backup wings, and I think that's why you saw the three-point guard lineup. But hey, like you said, if you're going to play three-point guards, why not play two power forwards and play Thaddeus Young in there at the three? That's something I said at the preseason, that I think Young could handle minutes on the wing in the right situations. The way they're using Thaddeus Young this year... But you know you know why they can do that, though? It's because you have Lowry at the four. What you're giving up with Thaddeus Young at the three is shooting and spacing. He's actually a really smart mover off the ball. He's really good at playing in the dunker spot. It's actually kind of easy to imagine the Bulls just inverting what they do and playing Lowry or running around baseline screens, probably set by Young, who will then just flip his hips and become a target for passes in the dunker spot. You can run Wendell Carter as your pick-and-roll big man, where he can just pop out and run a cogent offense. It's not even like Young would be out of position at the three. He can defend threes. That's never been a problem for him on defense. The problem has been on offense where you ask him to create. This is a roster structure where you wouldn't even be asking him to do that. Yeah, I mean, Thaddeus Young is seventh on the team in minutes per game right now. They're having him shoot 42% of his field goal attempts from three-point range. They are just butchering him in terms of how he's used this year. To me, uh, I thought Otto Porter was the best player on the team coming into the season. I thought Thaddeus Young was probably like their third or fourth best player in terms of on-court winning impact. I love the Thaddeus Young signing for the Bulls. And then Boylan gets him and he totally screws this thing up. He's not playing him enough. He's not putting him in the right positions. Uh, and he's coaching him in ways that aren't utilizing him to you know his strength. So uh, I think Thaddeus Young, if you want to start fixing the problems that this team has. It begins with putting Thaddeus Young on the court more often, getting him and marking in some minutes together, I think, uh, and maybe even with Carter. Basically, they just need to fortify their wing minutes. And let me tell you, Ryan Archidiakono isn't going to do the job. They need someone like Thaddeus Young instead on the court more often. Yeah, and like part of the reason that I like the Bulls so much coming into the year is that I thought you could make lineups work with basically any combination they played of Wendell Carter, Lowry Markkinen, Thaddeus Young, and Otto Porter. All four of those guys, whichever three of them you want to have on the court, it should work. If it's Young with two bigs, you can invert the offense, have Lowry running around the perimeter, running off of screens to try and catch and shoot threes. That should space the floor. If it's Lowry at the five, surrounded by Thad at the four, and Otto Porter at the three, both of those guys are good enough defensively to mitigate def- mitigate some of the issues that you're going to have when you have marketing at the five in terms of rim protection. They're really good at using their length. They're good at containing penetration. They're good at defending in the gaps. They're really smart, sound defenders. If you wanted to play Wendell Carter, Thaddeus Young, and Otto Porter together, you could do that because two of the three can shoot. And part of the problem here, I guess, is that a lot of this requires Wendell Carter to shoot, which is something 
I felt pretty good about him doing at the college level. I wasn't quite as high as good friend of the program Cole Zwicker was on Carter's shooting ability, but I at least thought that he'd be able to effectively catch and shoot or pick and pop and knock down shots from distance. They don't even have him trying to do that. For Boylan to talk about wanting to develop this roster and develop these 15 men, he's doing a shitty fucking job of developing the guy that might be the most important player on the roster in Wendell Carter. Yeah, and that brings us to another point, which is that, you know, Carter, to me, has been the best player on the team thus far, their most consistent performer. They are horribly utilizing him, too. Wendell Carter should have the ball in his hands, making decisions out of the high post. You want to run the offense through him, I think. Let him facilitate. Let him shoot. Let him be an aggressive offensive player who, honestly, is probably the best decision maker on this team or right there with Tomas Sadoransky. Instead, Wendell Carter is averaging under one assist per game this year. They are never letting him facilitate. They're basically using him like he's DeAndre Jordan. He's in the dunker spot. He's trying to finish inside. He's doing an admirable job, but his game has so much more life than what the Bulls are allowing him to do. Uh, You know, it's a credit to Carter that he has just the perfect mindset and work ethic that any coach would want to work with. He's like, whatever you tell me to do, coach, that's what I'm going to do. But if you watch the way teams are defending him, they're defending him like he was Joe Kim Noah from four or five years ago when he was on his last legs with the Bulls. He's not even looking at the rim when he has like 10 feet of space between him and the defender. He should have confidence in that jump shot and Unlocking that jumper is going to go a long way towards him reaching his ceiling as a player. As you said, if Boylan wants to talk about developing the young pieces on this roster, it starts with getting the most out of Wendell Carter. And by not allowing him to shoot, by not allowing him to pass, and almost exclusively using him as a dunker, lob catcher, and rebounder, he's killing Carter's development. And, you know, all the credit goes to Carter for the fact that he's still been as good as he's been this year. And it's it's confidence, too. Like, the fact that Wendell doesn't look to shoot, even when he gets a chance to shoot it, it, it doesn't look good. It's all hesitant. There's no rhythm there. It's it's truly a coaching travesty in so many ways uh, to not let this guy really shoot the basketball and actualize his skill set. It also takes away from the fact that, you know, Kobe White has been really good so far to start the year. And, you know, again, I want to hold off on moving to the gar packs of it all, but... It's just funny to bring up Gar because I think that Gar is the guy who does a majority of the heavy scouting decisions for this front office. You know, they've added some guys over the course of the last year or so, two years, and kind of rounded out the front office and made it a lot better. But they've actually done a pretty good job of scouting and evaluating guys who can play basketball. Wendell Carter can play. Lowry Markinen. We can talk about the fit with Wendell Carter being an issue, and I still think that's the case, and I still think what I thought in the offseason is true, that they're probably going to have to trade one of those guys at some point, but I think both those guys can really play. Kobe White, that's a hit for this front office. He can really play. A lot of these guys are good at basketball. It's just the way pieces fit around them and the way they're coached that's the problem. So I I don't want to absolve Gar Foreman of issues, but I actually think the Bulls have done – you know, a pretty good job of drafting you. Yeah, but there's like a step missing, right? It's like they can identify which players aren't going to be busts and which players have some talent, but they can't identify the best way to use them. And this has been a problem with the Bulls for a long time. Let's not forget that they had Spencer Dinwiddie in camp in their building and still chose to keep Isaiah Cannon and Michael Carter-Williams over him. So, you know, if you put Spencer Dinwiddie on this team, I think that that would have solved a lot of their problems in the backcourt over the last couple of years. 
Similar problem with Carter, where he's a good player, but I really don't think they know what they have in him. To me, Wendell Carter is such an oddball sort of center prospect because he's on the smaller side. He's not particularly explosive as a leaper, but what he's really good at is sort of the skilled aspects of the game. He's great as a passer. How many times did me and you watch him at Duke when he was hitting Marvin Bagley with perfect alley-oop passes, when he was you know, forming great high-low chemistry with Bagley to take Duke's offense to the next level. He's never gotten the opportunity to do that with marketing on the Bulls. You never get to see him in the short roll trying to make a play in a three-on-four situation. Instead, like I said, they're using him like he's Nerland's Noel, like he's DeAndre Jordan. They're simplifying his role to the extreme when, really, this guy is talented in spite of those things. Like, you knew he's only a 6'9", 6'10", set. You know that he isn't like the best vertical leaper around. He's certainly not on Mitchell Robinson's level, but that's how they're using him. So uh, until the Bulls can realize what they have in their own players, I just feel like they're going to continue to be lost. Yeah, and, and I think that raises an interesting question, too, is all of this on John Paxson and Gar Foreman, to an extent, misevaluating coaches and misevaluating the way pieces fit on their rosters, because... I totally agree with you that they didn't have a ton of wing depth coming into the year, and that's a problem the front office did not take care of. But if you're a team without a ton of wing depth, you can kind of get away with it by having Zach Levine, Otto Porter, uh, and Thaddeus Young rotating around and maybe uh, one or two other guys in the mix. What they're missing right now are the one or two other guys because you know Chandler Hutchison isn't there yet, uh, and Porter's hurt right now, which really just demolishes their depth in a lot of ways. If one of these guys gets hurt, it kills their depth. But how much of this, you know, we can transition now into the Garpax versus Boylan fault situation, but, like, I I don't want to say that John Paxson has done a great job here, but are we at the point where we can totally blame him? If you and I, like, actually like the roster. Dude, I've been blaming him for years. I mean... And I'm with you on that. Like, I totally agree that there's no chance he should have gotten uh, the opportunity to build this roster. He should have been fired five years ago, as soon as the Derrick Rose era ended, basically. And it's like, why is Boylan the coach? Boylan's the coach because he's basically just a reflection of John Paxson. All the garbage that has been coming out of John Paxson's mouth about you know, accountability without taking accountability yourself, blaming the players for all their problems, Uh, all of his, like, toughness, old-school mentality BS, that is exactly what Boylan is. And let's remember that, you know, before Boylan came came aboard, Paxson and Foreman had feuded with every coach they've ever had. They famously didn't get along with Tom Thibodeau, even though Thibodeau was literally their only good hire since they've been brought aboard. Uh, they were even butting heads with Fred Hoiberg, who's like one of the nicest, kindest people probably working in the head coaching side of basketball right now. So, uh, Paxton and Foreman essentially chose Boylan just because he is very malleable. He'll do whatever they tell him to do. He'll deflect blame away from Paxton and Foreman. Uh, so to me, that's the biggest issue. But then, you know, if we're talking about the Bulls not making the next step this year, like... There was a lot of talk about Zach Levine being an all-star. Zach Levine is bad. Zach Levine's decision-making on offense is absolutely abysmal. There have been plenty of good players in the NBA who have been dog shit on defense. Steve Nash, Trey Young, even James Harden. You could go down the line. It's Zach's decision-making that really holds him back. So now you don't have an A1 option. The guy who has the ball in his hands the majority of the time 
Zach Levine, is not going to consistently make the high-level decisions required to be a star-level player. Then you have Markinen, who 70% of his field goals are assisted. He could be a good complementary player, perhaps, if he can rediscover his jump shot. He's been brutal this year. He's shooting 29% on jump shots this season. But he can't create his own offense off the bounce, so he needs to be set up. Uh, and what you basically have is a roster without a proper hierarchy, without a proper pecking order. What they need is a legitimate star to knock everyone down a peg and to put guys in the right positions. It all comes back to the Jimmy Butler trade for me. Now, who knows, even if they wouldn't have traded Jimmy Butler, perhaps he would have left and gone to Miami anyway. Uh, I guess we'll never know what would have happened in that scenario because I believe Philadelphia did offer him the biggest money. He still chose to go to Miami. He's a lone wolf in that way, as we know. Uh, but man, the trade for Jimmy Butler just does not look good right now. Levine is a deeply flawed player. Markinen, I don't know what's up with Markinen, but he has been awful this year. He can't hit a jumper, can't hit a three to save his life. Looks like a totally different guy. Uh, and then, you know, Chris Dunn for a top five pick. I don't think the Bulls have gotten out of him what they were expecting. He looks decent as a backup point guard, but nothing more. You had a stud in Jimmy Butler. You had an A1 offensive option. They don't have that right now. And when you're lacking that star, that go-to guy in the NBA, you're going to start to have a lot of problems. And the Bulls are seeing that right now. So <laughs> I don't want to defend Zach here totally. Uh, not, not, a, not a lot, just a small amount. I want to I defend him just a little bit. I totally agree with you that his decision-making is bad. But I think a big part of why Zach has been pretty bad this year, and I agree with you that he's been pretty rough, is that teams just don't respect what Chicago is doing from the perimeter in terms of spot-up situations. Like, when Zach drives right now, he has Chandler Hutchinson spotting up from three, and while Chandler is shooting 36% from three, no one is like, oh yeah, we're not going to help off of Chandler Hutchison to try and stop Zach because we're worried about Chandler hitting a shot. Like, it's just not going to happen. Tomas Sotoransky... For being a good shooter and someone who can knock down shots, he doesn't take a ton of them as like a floor spacing point guard. I'd imagine that most of his threes do come with Zach on the floor because he's resigned to spacing the floor a little bit more when Zach's out there, but he's not like a gunner. Lowry Markinen, even though he's shooting 27% from three, people still respect him as a shooter and you know that uh, helps them space the floor. They go out and contest him. So they're getting some value there, but beyond him... Like, look at the center position. They're not having their guys pop out in space other than Luke Cornett. And Cornett, just to be honest, doesn't have the kind of respect that NBA players uh, or from NBA players. And uh, Daniel Gafford is not a spacer. Wendell Carter we've talked about already. So when you look at it, like Kobe White, a lot of his threes come off the dribble. And, you know, teams, when Zach drives, they just don't have a recourse for not collapsing in on him. It's contingent upon him to try and make the decision when teams collapse on him to make a kickout pass uh, that he can do this. Uh, but if the team had better spacing and better shooters and was better set up more than anything, because I think Wendell can shoot and Lowry can shoot and Tomas can shoot and these guys have better shooters, if they were put in better positions to succeed and the spacing was set up better, I think that Zach would be in a better position to be a pseudo offensive creator. Yeah, I can agree with that. Now, I think that Levine is probably just best served in like a secondary scoring role. I used to like to make the comparison to where like, you know, if he could be the Kyrie next to a LeBron type, then you have a situation where he's not being counted on to run, you know, 
75% of your pick and rolls, and he's not being counted on to make the high-level decisions in big moments. Instead, when the offense breaks down, he can do what Zach Levine is really good at, and that's creating offense out of thin air, hitting impossibly tough shots. Well, the problem is that he's so good at making bad shots that it almost works against him because it lulls him into thinking that he should be taking these ridiculous fadeaway mid-range twos. Now, in his defense, he has cut out a lot of the mid-range attempts this year. Uh, but, you know, there's multiple examples every game where, like, the defense is giving Zach room to shoot and he's driving into three guys or the defense is taking away his shot and he's, you know, forcing a contested three really early in the shot clock. He just doesn't seem to read the game. To me, uh, it reminds me a little bit of a criticism I made of R.J. Barrett when he was at Duke going into the draft last year where I felt like he predetermined what he was going to do instead of actually reading the floor. Now, spacing was an issue for Barrett, of course, at Duke, and perhaps that is uh, part of the reason Levine has not taken the step forward as an all-star that many around Chicago expected. Uh, I just think, you know, his his decision-making isn't good enough on a consistent basis. That's what holds him back. And then defensively, he's an absolute train wreck. He talks every offseason about how hard he works defensively. You can work hard, but you have to work smart. And he's obviously not recognizing the parts of the game where he has these lapses. It's a lot of off-ball stuff. It's a lot of attention, uh, attention span lapses. So this meaningful improvement that, you know, Devin Booker has made this year that we were expecting to see from Levine in a very similar context, I think, you know, what the Suns have shown is kind of what the Bulls were going for. Surround your young guys with some good veterans. Hopefully that raises the floor and allows your young guys to become the best versions of themselves. It's working in Phoenix. It is a train wreck in Chicago. You can look at the difference in coaching. Monte Williams is a great coach. Jim Boylan's awful. But, you know, it also speaks to a little bit to Levine and Markinen not taking that next step this year, both of them off to really, really poor starts. Yeah, and, and the big number for Levine in terms of his efficiency is shooting uh, when he's shooting 42% from the field is that he's only shooting 45.3% on shots around the basket and half court. It's just abysmally low. And, and you need that number to be up 52-ish, 53-ish percent if you're going to be that kind of primary or even like a secondary creator, realistically. It's just not good enough from a guy that, you know, he has some size. He has all the athleticism in the world. He's 6'6". And look, again, like I think part of it is the spacing. But at the end of the day, shot selection is a real issue here as well. And he needs to take smarter shots around the basket. Another issue is that he doesn't really have a floater game. You know, he's always been one to try and push all the way to the basket and finish. A little bit of an in-between floater game, not a mid-range jumper game because he takes a lot of those or, you know, he's kind of excised it a little bit, but, you know, he's not immune to the mid-range jumper. A little bit of a floater game would go a long way toward helping him succeed uh, a little bit more. Oh, man. So where, where are we at with Chicago here, Ricky? Uh, where do we go from here? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it's like the Bulls' plan, right, was to try to make meaningful improvement this year, try to make the playoffs, next year do it again, and then in 2021 try to land the big fish in free agency. Well, dude, I've been a Bulls fan my whole life. I've never lived anywhere else besides for Chicago. I hear this exact same plan once every four years, and they screw up every single time. I have no confidence in the Bulls to land that big fish superstar. And at this point, you almost have to wonder if their best option is burning it all down and trying to build through the draft again. 
Otto Porter is a guy who I thought moved them closer to competency. Now you're in a situation where you're like the fifth worst team in the league. Porter's hurt. When Porter comes back, you might as well try to flip him, right? Like, there's plenty of teams out there that could use Otto Porter. I think the Blazers would love to have Otto Porter. There's a bunch of other teams that would like to have him, too. With him having a player option for $25 million next season, if you can find a team that'll take that deal, Porter's still a good player. I think, you know, perhaps you can get an asset for him. And then it probably comes down to trading either Levine or Markkinen. Uh, Markkinen has been incredibly disappointing. He does not look physically strong. He does not look confident. I do think his, he has a history of being too good of a shooter to continue being as bad as he is. But, you know, he's only hit 36% of his threes in each of his first two years. This year, he's about 10 percentage points lower than that. It'll shoot up. But it's like, what is this guy? Do you think he can actually be the number two option on a really competitive team? I'm not so sure if that's the case anymore. Instead, he just looks like a role player right now. Watching Giannis go through him like he wasn't even there last night was really disappointing. Not like anyone can really stop Giannis. In my opinion, Giannis is the best player in the world right now. But if Markkinen is supposed to be your guy in a true cornerstone, at least provide some semblance of resistance he could not do that uh and you know Levine I think that the ship has sailed on Levine like he had everything going for him this year to try to be an all-star and even being an all-star in the east isn't exactly the greatest accomplishment in the world but damn was he thirsty for it the games in Chicago you could tell it was really meaningful to him I think he was pressing a bit at the start of the year because of that uh, with that being said, I just don't think this team is going to be successful moving forward with Zach Levine as their quote-unquote best player. He's just not a good enough decision maker. He's awful on defense. I don't think he's a particularly good leader. Uh, I think the Bulls are likely in for some major, major changes, and I hope Garpax do not get the opportunity to make those decisions because this rebuild that they pulled off post Jimmy Butler trade looks like an absolute dumpster fire for the third year in a row right now. Before we get to my last couple questions here, I want to ask uh, Ricky just something real quick. You know, is it sadder to be a Bulls fan or a Bears fan right now? Uh, great question, Sam. And I actually wrote about that very topic a couple weeks ago. Uh, they're both just brutal. Like both of them basically burned it down for a rebuild and need to burn it down again because those rebuilds were horribly unsuccessful. I've watched horrible Bears quarterbacks my entire life. Mitch Trubisky is like in his own tier. He is an abomination. The fact that they traded up for him to take him over to Sean Watson and who ended up being the correct pick, Patrick Mahomes, is just so, so hopeless for this franchise right now for the Bears. And, you know, the Bulls, I think they're in a similar place where they burnt it down. They rebuilt. They have, what, three number seven overall draft picks on this team. That's an issue right there because if you would have got Luka, if you would have got Trey Young, this looks a lot different right now. But they didn't, even when their whole plan was to be bad. Uh, I think that, you know, they're in similar situations where it just doesn't feel like there's any quick fixes on the horizon. And because of that, it feels like, you know, at least for the immediate future, all hope is lost. So in terms of basketball now, the, the last question I have for you is something, uh, you know, you mentioned the idea of tearing it down with this roster. Is, is there any part of you that wants to see this team simply under a different coach? You know, fire Jim Boylan, see if a different coach can come in and see if they can make this thing competent. See if this, uh, they can make this a better group in terms of the way it functions on the floor. Yeah, of course. But Sam, it's not going to happen. They love Jim Boylan. Jim Boylan is a reflection of John Paxson. And if Boylan 
continues to flame out the way he's doing right now, I almost think the more likely scenario is that Paxson just quits. Paxson's made a ton of money. He's been in this business for longer than any executive ever gets the opportunity to be in it 16 years as the GM of the Bulls. Boylan is his hand-picked guy. I think Paxson might just quit, and that's the only upside of the season. Now, I would love to see Boylan fired right now. Boylan should lose his job immediately as we're recording this podcast. Boylan should be fired. There's no doubt about it. If you put a competent head coach in there, who knows, perhaps the season would turn around. But the Bulls are not going to do it because Paxson and Foreman love Boylan. He's a company man. He kisses their ass constantly. Uh, he just goes with the flow of the program and you know deflects blame away from where it should really lie with management. I don't think they're going to fire Jim Boylan this season. I think Jim Boylan has great job security because he knows how much his bosses love him. You know what? He's going to develop this team, Ricky. He's going to develop these guys. He's seen a lot of growth. The ball's moving. Guys are playing with confidence. They're getting good looks. He thinks those shots are going to go down. He's just eternally confident. I mean, the last thing I want to ask you here, I mean, we've made fun of Jim Boylan a lot, but, you know, I know that Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal on the Simmons podcast, they have a bit where they call Jason Garrett the clapper. Uh, The problem is now that Jason Garrett apparently has stopped clapping, like their theory is that someone has gotten to him, that this is a bit that they do on their podcast. Uh, Do we think Jim Boylan has taken over the mantle of the clapper? Like, you watch him on the sidelines, he's constantly clapping up a storm, trying to encourage his guys. Is he now the NBA's version of the clapper? He is the clapper, and I'll one-up you on that. He's also the defensive stance getter-inner or something. Jim Boylan is the only person on the Bulls in a defensive stance in half these games. He's like on the court, getting low, ready to slide laterally. It's pathetic, dude. It's like he wants to go out there and trap the opposing point guard. This thing has been a train wreck from the very start, man. From his second game as head coach, they lose by 56 points to the Celtics. That starts the reported near mutiny. If I'm one of his players, I got no respect for this guy. As a fan, I got no respect for this guy. The Bulls need to cut ties with him immediately, but it won't happen because he kisses management's ass. I don't know what else to say, Sam. These are the Bulls, same as they always were. Man, Ricky, this got depressing real fast. Uh, I'm sorry you're in this situation where you have to deal with this abomination of a team in addition to this abomination of a Bears season. I don't think there's anything else to really say about it. I guess we got another fun year of looking forward to draft prospects for both of us because that's about the only hope the Bulls have got right now. Thanks for coming on. Please tell the people where they can find your work. You can find all my work at SBNation.com. I am editing the NBA section over there. I'm editing the college basketball section as well. So if it's basketball, I got my hands in it, writing every day, editing every day. Uh, We're doing a lot of fun work at SBNation.com, so be sure to check it out. He's the hardest working man in the basketball industry. You have a podcast too, right? Yes, I do. I have a Bulls podcast. You can listen to that. It's called Cash Considerations. I'm guessing the Bulls don't love that name for our podcast, but I do it with Jason Pat. We've been going in on the Bulls ruthlessly and relentlessly for two seasons now, ever since we started it. So listen to Cash Considerations if you want to get more hot anti-Jim Boylan content. Thanks for coming on. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Android, whatever uh, podcasting app you guys use. We'll read some reviews next week whenever Coleswicker comes back. So until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.